book. God, they are refreshing, Lord, to us. They're like refreshing, cool water to our soul. And God, right now we long to hear you speak to our hearts, God. Lord, as we've been worshiping you and and just singing hallelujah to you and waiting here, God, we're waiting here to hear from you, God. And Lord, I pray that tonight we would find a connection to you strong and clear. As we tune into your voice, God, may your Holy Spirit, God, touch us, speak to us, fill us, and help us to hear what you have for us. So, Lord, bless your word tonight, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Every broadcaster's nightmare happened in the middle of this TV news program one night. An unexplainable moment of silence happened when switching to a different news spot. Now, the second seemed to turn into eternity on the Sacramento news station, but the uncomfortable silence came to an end when the quick-thinking anchorman broke the silence by saying, Ladies and gentlemen, that special moment of silence was brought to you courtesy of the Sacramento City Library. <laughs> I like that. Well, today we begin a new study in the gospel according to Luke, the book, Luke, the book of Luke tonight. And here we find God visits this elderly Jewish priest to give him some really good news, that him and his wife will be having a baby. Well, this actually marks the start of God speaking to Israel again after not speaking for a long time. So this is when the silence is broken. And that's the title of our message tonight. The silence is broken. We're going to be studying Luke chapter 1 as we start this new book here. And we're going to be uh, getting into verses 1 through 25 tonight. We have a little long passage, so we're going to try and get through this because I want to try and keep our service to an hour with our, you know, following health and safety protocols. So anyway, Luke chapter 1 from verse 1 through 25. And I've broken up the passage into three parts, and, and this is our outline. Number one, the studious research. Number two, the surprise visitation. And number three, the slated pregnancy. So let's begin here. Number one in Luke chapter one, the studious research. Number one, the studious research. Now in this section, we're going to be covering verses one through four. But at first, we're going to take a look at the first two verses here in Luke one. So take a look with me here. It says in verse one, Luke one, inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. And we'll stop right there. Now we begin here with the writer's introduction. And he's saying here how right away many have undertaken to compile a narrative about all that's been accomplished. In other words, another way to say this, I think, in easier English is many have written and talked about the accounts of Jesus. That's basically because he's going to get into the story of Jesus here in this book or, 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 you know, the gospel according to Luke, what it's titled in our Bibles. Now, then he says, this is like what those eyewitnesses, the disciples he's talking about, who ministered to us with their writings. By this time, you have to understand the gospel of Matthew and the gospel of of Mark have already been written. So, who is the author here? Well, it's 
Luke. That's why the gospel according to Luke. He is the writer. He's the author here. Now, his name is not mentioned in this book. His name is not mentioned in this gospel. But we do know that Luke wrote the book of Acts. He mentions his own name in there. And there's a point in the book of Acts that he's, it, it, it switches to first person like we and, and, and I and, and like that. Well, in Acts 1, Luke references this gospel, the gospel of Luke, and so that connects it together and puts him as the author. So both the book of Luke and Acts is written by Luke, and it was written around 60 AD. As I mentioned, Matthew and Mark were already written. John, the book of John wasn't written yet. Uh, that was written about 20 years later in 80 AD, but this book is written about 60 AD. So, Luke is basically saying in these first two verses, many tell of what Jesus did, like what Matthew and Mark had written already, those disciples or apostles of Jesus. So then, Luke goes on, look at verse 3. It seemed good to me also, having followed all the things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Then you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. And we'll stop there. So Luke explains how he thought it would be good also. It seemed good to him also to write about Jesus, to, to put together this account, a story about Jesus. And, and, and he followed things closely. In other words, it was through his investigation. It was through his research that he put it all together and decided to write this orderly account. Orderly account means like logical or, or, or this accurate record about Jesus. And then he says, and this was all for you, most excellent Theophilus. Now, we don't know who he is. He's mentioned here, he's mentioned in the book of Acts. And, and some say, well, he was written generally to Christians. Because Theophilus, that Greek word actually means friend of God. Theophilus, or lover of God. Many times uh, it's, it's looked at that way. But... It may be generally written to any Christian, any lover of God, but it seems to address him uh, as some sort of official because he writes here the most excellent. Perhaps he was a saved Roman official. Perhaps maybe even he was Luke's master. You see, Luke here, uh, the author of this book, is actually a medical doctor. We find this in some other passages in the New Testament. You could call him Dr. Luke. Dr. Luke wrote this. And in ancient times, doctors weren't like what we see today, their own offices making all this money. But doctors back then were actually slaves to the Romans, and they had masters in that way. So perhaps Theophilus, it might be his master, or some even speculate that Theophilus perhaps had financed the research for Dr. Luke to, to gather this information because Theophilus had become a Christian and, and he wanted to know more about Jesus and he wanted to see if what Matthew and Mark wrote and what all the other Christians had been talking about who were eyewitnesses, who saw Jesus there, that if it was all true and that maybe Luke can look into that. And so Luke writes to confirm to Theophilus that the certainty or the accuracy of all that uh, Theophilus had been thought that it is all true. 
And, th- and that's the idea here. So we see right in this introduction, this book is the result of the studious research of Dr. Luke. We could call him Dr. Luke. Now, you can already probably tell as we're reading this first four verses that, that the way Dr. Luke writes, it seems kind of meticulous. It seems kind of using these big words and all. Actually, these first four verses in our Bibles is one sentence in the Greek. So he's kind of sophisticated, fancy, meticulous in how he writes. Another interesting note is that Luke is a Gentile. And he's the only Gentile writer in the New Testament. And he's writing this book, this gospel account, to other Gentiles as he talks about Jesus and tells about Jesus. Now, Luke is not an eyewitness. Luke is not a disciple, but he talked to many Christians who were eyewitnesses of Jesus, who, who, who were around when Jesus talked and did miracles. And, and he also talked to the apostles and, and the disciples there, the apostles who were with Jesus. He actually joined Paul on his second missionary journey around Acts 16. And so along the journey, he talked to many believers, many other Christians, those who, who were eyewitnesses and saw Jesus. So he put all this together with all this research that he did and all the uh, talks that he had, he gathered them all together. And about 30% of the Gospel of Luke brings in new stories of Jesus, different from Matthew, Mark, and even John. We'll also know this, too, about the, the four Gospels. And maybe you'll know this already, but to me it's interesting. Matthew, when his Gospel portrays Jesus as being the King, Messiah. Mark portrays Jesus in his Gospel as being the humble servant. John, now, he portrays Jesus as being God. And this is like the main themes you see here. But Luke... He portrays Jesus being a human being, being a man. And, and really, that's what we're going to see with Luke as we get into this gospel, which actually brings us to our theme. Remember, I give you a theme for the new, new books and when we get into a book. And this is a theme for the book of Luke. Jesus was born a man in order to die on a cross for all our sins. So basically... That's his emphasis. That's what he is really writing about around this whole story all about Jesus. So Jesus was born a man in order to die on the cross for all our sins. Now, our theme verse, if you could turn to Luke chapter 19, uh, turn to the right over to Luke chapter 19. Our theme verse is 19 verse 10. Luke 19 verse 10. And it says here, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So that's our theme verse. And that our theme is Jesus was born a man in order to die on a cross for all our sins. All right, back to chapter 1 here. What we see here is that Luke writes this gospel to encourage Theophilus to embrace Jesus in full confidence. That's what he's doing. He's just confirming what's been told him. He's confirming what Matthew and Mark wrote about. He's adding more things as he's compiled his research together here in his studious research. So Luke writes this gospel to encourage Theophilus to embrace Jesus in full confidence. Many um, commentators wonder how Theophilus got his name. 
Was it just a reference? You know, maybe he was born, he was named in this way to, you know, the Roman, Roman pagan gods, because it could be any gods, right? Love of God. Or did, it, did, did God know maybe this Roman would become a Christian and literally be a lover of God? Well, someone speculated and said that this was the reason. When he was born, the attending doctor looked at the newborn and said, this is the awfulest baby I've ever seen. <laughs> well, anyway, okay. Theophilus, right? <laughs> uh, but anyway, my hope is, as we get into this book, that you find in this study, as we read Jesus' story, as we see Luke's research and everything that he put in here, that, you know what, that we would become lovers of God too, that we would fall in love with Jesus again. And shouldn't that be our heart? Shouldn't our heart be that we are continually falling in love with Jesus over and over? And my hope is that that's what this book will do for us. And I also hope that we would be encouraged by faith to trust in God's word here. And, and that's what Luke is writing about here. Luke, Luke is, is telling Theophilus, look, I'm, I want to encourage you that you can believe these things, that it's true that I'm confirming all that you, you've, you've heard and all that you read from Matthew and Mark. You know what? You can embrace Jesus with full confidence. And you know what? Also, my hope is that perhaps you will hear God's voice again through scripture. This is God's living word, you guys. And he wants to speak to us. And my hope, even as we go through our passage tonight, that you will hear God's voice speaking to us. So my hope is a study of this gospel that perhaps for you tonight, the silence is broken. Let's go on to number two, the surprise visitation. The surprise visitation. All right, we have a long section here from verse 5 through 22, but we're going to take it in sections. First of all, verse 5 through 7. Luke 1, verse 5, it says, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. We'll stop there. Now, this writing about Jesus that Luke does, he begins with this announcement really what we're getting into is the birth of john the baptist the forerunner to the messiah so how he gets into this here's the background here this is what luke says in the days of herod king of judea now herod herod was a puppet ruler under the roman empire he wasn't like a true king like we think he was more like i was thinking a lot of commentators say he was a governor but you know i think he was more like the mayor of judea you know he was kind of under Pilate, the governor we 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 read about in the gospels and so there under the oppression of rome this unknown priest was doing his duty. His name was Zechariah, who was, it says, the division of Abijah, which is one of the 24 groups of priests who served in the temple twice a year. There's all these priests, a whole bunch of them. They, they, they um, put them into different groups, and they took turns serving in the temple. Now, Zechariah was married to Elizabeth. That was his wife's name. And she was actually a direct descendant of Aaron. You remember who Aaron was? Moses, his brother, the first high priest, right? He started the whole priestly line, and she was a direct descendant. So they were both uh, very 
uh, right there in their heritage, you know, as far as godly priests all in that line. Uh, and Elizabeth came from that priestly line. So they were both really devout, faithful to God, it says here, walking basically in all the commandments, genuinely walking. It was in their heart. They're, it was it was part of who they were. That's why it says they're righteous and walking in those commandments. They're faithful. You could say they were a perfect, godly couple. Yet, they never had any children. And at this point in their life, they're pretty old now. They're elderly. Verse 8, 8 through 10. Now, while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. So, opportunity came. He was, he was part of the group that's serving in the temple at that time. And then he was, by quote-unquote chance, and this is the Lord, I believe, Zechariah was chosen by Lot to be the priest to go into the sanctuary and actually offer the incense on the incense altar there right in front of the, the most holy place, in front of the curtain. You went into the sanctuary area yeah, uh, um, where the bread and the candelabra was, and in the middle right in front of the curtain was that altar of incense. So he was chosen to go Oh, into the sanctuary, offer up the incense, which represents the prayers of the people. And that's why the people were praying at that time also. And understand, to be the priest, to be chosen to that, this was a very great privilege. Because most of the time, a priest was maybe allowed once in his lifetime to, to even do this. And some priests didn't even get the opportunity. But we see... By lot, by chance, this was really God directing the circumstances. Because you know what? God was moving once again in Israel. Verse 11. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled. Literally that word means he was shaking. When he saw him and fear fell upon him. But the angel, verse 13, said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear a son and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord and he must not drink wine or strong drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the, to the, to the Lord their God and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So this is exciting news here. This is amazing. This angel appears inside the sanctuary of the temple. And suddenly he appears. And can, can you imagine? Here's the angel on the right side of the altar of incense. And no wonder he was shaking. No wonder here, you know, Zechariah didn't expect that. But the angel's like, hey, don't be afraid. You know what? Your prayer's been heard. Now, I wonder what that prayer was. I mean, we can speculate. Maybe he was praying for a kid, but they're already old. Yeah, I think they're kind of past that thought of, you know, I'm, you know, of even having kids. I believe, and a lot of commentators say that it was more likely he was praying for the deliverance of Israel and the coming of the Messiah. And so Zechariah, he gets to be part of the answer of that prayer 
because he's going to have a son who's going to be the forerunner to the Messiah. Him and Elizabeth, you guys are going to have a baby, a baby boy. How do you like that if angel came and told you, you're going to have a baby boy. You already know the gender, not only that, the angel tells him his name, so you don't have to fight about what the name of your baby, right? There. So they are also to be godly parents in the sense they are to raise him up. Really what this is is the Nazarite vow. That is a, a, a vow totally dedicated to the Lord, this person. No wine, no alcohol, consecrating yourself totally to God. And the interesting thing the angel says here, as this baby will be filled with what? The Holy Spirit, even from the womb. Now, you have to understand that, that in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit and the filling of the Spirit was reserved for those prophets and religious uh, uh, leaders or certain leaders and kings and all. It's not like today after Pentecost that we're all filled with the Spirit. But so this, this is going to be a special boy here. This is going to be a special man, John, because he's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit like the prophets in the Old Testament. And then the angel says, God's going to use him to turn many people back to God. And notice that the angel also adds here, John will move in the same spirit and power of who? Elijah. Now that was predicted in Malachi 4, verses 5 through 6. And Malachi was, is the last book of the Old Testament. And so there's a tie there that this prophet will, in Malachi, talks about will precede the Messiah coming. And so the, the angel saying, this boy, this man, he's going to grow up. John, he's going to be that forerunner to the Messiah coming. And so that is why John the Baptist, as we know him, will, be, will make ready for the Lord, as the angel said. So, Zechariah and Elizabeth will parent the forerunner to Messiah. No wonder the angel says, people are going to rejoice. You're going to have joy. No wonder there's going to be joy. Well, can you imagine God telling you your child will be used in a mighty way like this? Can you imagine? I mean... I'm, I know, right now you look at them saying, well, I don't see it. <laughs> well, you know what? Zechariah couldn't see it either, basically. Right? They're, they're old. What? Child? Us? So look at verse 18. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. The angel answered, answered him, Hey, uh, Zechariah, look, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I was sent from God to speak to you. This is not my words. I'm not just making this up. This is God's message to you to bring you this good news. Verse 19. Verse 20. And behold, because you didn't believe, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place. Because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And, the, and so the angels kind of like, hey, well, you're going to be silent then. Another miracle is going to happen. I'm going to make you mute. Well, verse 21, And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. They're like wondering, what's going on? Usually the priest comes out, usually comes out, gives us a blessing after the prayers. It doesn't take that long. Perhaps maybe something happened. Maybe God killed him. I don't know. Maybe he had sin or whatever. And then he comes out. Verse 22, and when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remaining mute. So he couldn't talk, so he's trying to do sign language, like, oh, I saw this, I did, you know, an angel, and all, all that. Now, 
In one sense, you would think Zechariah would not doubt what the, when there's an angel standing there talking to him. Yeah. But I, I could understand him. He's just wondering, well, how does this really work? How shall I know this? How can I know for sure this is going to happen? He's saying, well, the, he wants a sign. So angels say, okay, I'll give you a sign. You won't be able to talk. Now, I understand he's old. His wife is way past uh, childbearing age. But I don't know my thought. What, what goes through your mind right now? A Bible story. Abraham, right? And Sarah, right? I mean, they're old. God can do the impossible. But we see his lack of faith brings about a sign. But it's really, think about this, a gracious proof that this will come true. Even though it's sort of a discipline for him, it was proof that it will really come true because he couldn't talk anymore. Interesting, huh? God is beginning to speak to Israel, but he is silent, unable to talk. So the surprise visitation brings about a surprise message from God. Zechariah and Elizabeth will birth the forerunner to the Messiah, John, as we know, the Baptist. Understand at this point now, it has been 400 years, you guys. 400 years since God has spoken to Israel. God did not fill uh, uh, any prophet with the Holy Spirit. No, nothing. No angel messenger, nothing. Between Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, and Matthew, our first book, or, or even what Luke is talking about now, right? Between this happening, there's been a 400-year gap. But suddenly, out of that silence, God was speaking to this angel. Suddenly, there's movement. Suddenly, something's happened. God is speaking to this angel and was sending a prophet a prophet like the Old Testament prophets, John, will be filled with the, the Spirit. John the Baptist to turn people to the Lord. I'll tell you, this is God's love and grace. So you see, the silence is broken here by the appearance of this angel and his message about John the Baptist, who will be the prophet speaking for God once again, just like in the Old Testament. But this has been 400 years, you guys, of silence. So our point here is this, believe it or not, God is beginning to speak and move once again among the people of Israel. Believe it or not, God is beginning to speak and move once again among the people of Israel. And that's, that's really the point here. This is what we see. This is what's going on here. This is what Luke is writing about. I have to tell you, I'll never forget the day that my wife Kristen came out of the bedroom and tearfully said, I don't know why I don't hear God in my devotions. Well, you know, when she said that, it was like a, a, a sort of conviction in my heart because I knew why. It was because of me. Because I've been lukewarm. I've been really on fire for God. I've been living for God. And, and, and you know, my... Spiritual leadership wasn't there in our family. And he or she was wondering, oh, I can't feel God. I can't hear God. I knew it was me. But you know what? What she said there was the first step in leading uh, me and my wife back to really going to church. I mean, really being in church and really being accountable and really studying the Word of God and really worshiping Him. God used my wife. Well, God was speaking through this angel. God was speaking to Zechariah, even through Zechariah, even making him mute. Something was happening here now. God was on the move here. And you know what? I think even Zechariah understood his lack of faith 
And when he became mute, it was God moving, and this confirmed that this was going to happen, right? Give me a sign. Oh, okay, you'll be mute. It's going to really happen, right? So you knew God was truly speaking here. Listen, God is speaking to you tonight. In his grace, in his love, he's speaking to you. You know, I was thinking about how all these years probably, you know, they resolved Zechariah and Elizabeth to not have kids and everything. But now God's saying, no, you're going to have kids. And I was thinking, you know, sometimes we uh, wonder, will God really do what maybe we've desired? Perhaps God is speaking now tonight, and maybe in the silence, he's breaking the silence and telling you, you know what, I'm going to do what I'm telling you to do. It's coming. God will keep his promise for you in your life even and how he works. He will work in your life. And like Israel, yeah, they had drifted far. But perhaps tonight God is calling you back. You have drifted and he's speaking to you. And you haven't heard from God for a long time. Will you listen? Will you hear? God is moving once again. I believe that, you guys. God is doing a new work right here, right now, tonight, in your heart. It's different tonight. Yeah, I've been coming Wednesday night. Oh, yeah, you know, I've been watching online. But you know, tonight, I believe right now God is speaking. And will we hear? Are you being blinded maybe by your own doubt? I don't know. I don't know about this. No. Open your ears. Try to even see that maybe the silence or you you being silenced is really God speaking to you even. Well, I haven't heard from God. Well, maybe God's trying to get your attention right now. Let me ask you, have you not heard from God for a while? Have you once heard from God, but now lately you're like, ah, I don't know where he is. God is speaking. God is calling. He wants to do a new work. How about this? Have you ever heard God speak to you through his word or your devotion time, prayer, or even in worship? Have you ever felt the Holy Spirit move in your life? I'll tell you what. God wants to break that silence. And by His grace and love, He's calling out to you and pulling you in. He's speaking again. Listen and believe and find. The silence is broken tonight. God is moving. Well, we've seen the studious research of surprise visitation. Now let's go to number three, the slated pregnancy. The slated pregnancy. So we come to the last section of our study tonight. Uh, then we'll cover verse 23 through 25. And let's take a look at that right now. It says, And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. And so uh, his time of service was one week. And it must have been hard not being able to talk. Yeah, and he's trying to do all this. Verse 24, After these days his wife Elizabeth whoa, conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when I looked on, when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. See, back then in the culture of the Jews, not to be able to have children was considered a curse in, in that society. But I like this because God chose this couple as a symbol of his love and grace. Think about this. The Old Testament basically ended with a curse in Malachi. But God was moving again here. God was breaking the silence. God was speaking again after 400 years. And in his move and keeping the promise to bring the Messiah, he went to a couple who had been considered under curse to bless them 
with a baby. You know what's interesting? Zechariah's name means Yahweh remembers. Elizabeth, her name means God of the oath. And you put it together, Yahweh remembers his oath. I love that. I love that. We're going to even see later that as soon as the baby is born, John the, John the Baptist is born, Zechariah can speak. He, his mouth gets open, and it's like God is speaking again. It's another symbol, all of this. So God did what he said. He did the impossible here. Elizabeth conceived, it says, and, and, and she knew she was with child, but she waited until five months basically to say anything uh, she was probably showing at that time to prove what God had done. I mean, she, she could say, well, I'm pregnant, I'm pregnant. The Lord told me, yeah, all right. Yeah. But she waited till that time where she was showing. And that took away, as she says, the reproach she, she had. So this is the slated pregnancy, the scheduled pregnancy. It came to pass just as the angel said. Listen to what Jesus said in Mark 10, 27. With man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. And isn't that true? I mean, amen to this. Here's this elderly couple, right? Uh, uh, Oh, you're some curse or something's on you. Oh, you know, kind of thing. But God blesses them. They have the baby, not just a baby, but a baby boy. It's a forerunner to the Messiah. How wonderful is that? So our last point is this, whether it's, Physically impossible or spiritually impossible, God is true to his word. Yeah? No matter how it looks like, either physically or spiritually even, God is true to his word. The pioneer missionary to China, Hudson Taylor, went to open a bank account for his mission, his mission organization. And on the application to the bank, it was asked to list his assets for this missionary venture. You know what he wrote? 10 pounds, or say $10, and all the promises of God. I like that, right? He didn't have much, but he had all the promises, which was, which was worth everything. Listen, God can do the impossible. Whether it's physically impossible or spiritually impossible, God is true to his word. God is true to his promises. And perhaps you feel like you're so unworthy of God's grace and love. Maybe, maybe you, you feel like, I, I don't know. Maybe God's saying to me, he's done with me. But no, he's not. He wants to speak to you. He wants to break through that silence. Maybe you've been far away from God and God's been silent, but he wants to speak to you. And he's beginning to move tonight. And you need to believe that he can do that impossible. The impossible where you think, well, spiritually, ah, he cannot help me no more. No, he can. I think when Zechariah went mute, he knew It was God and believed, even if he was like being disciplined for his doubt. God is still moving and showing that he's still there. And you know what? That's where we find joy and that's where we find hope. Knowing that, that we're banking on that. Even, think about this. Zechariah's like, how is this going to happen? His lack of faith, right? But God still graciously gave him a sign, making him mute. God still graciously gave Zechariah and Elizabeth the child. It, it wasn't like God said, what? You don't believe? You're questioning me? Forget it. He didn't walk away from Zechariah. No, but his love and grace was still there. And God still gave him his child. And no one can stop God's plan in your life. So know that tonight, you guys. Has God been silent in your life? He's speaking and no matter what, he's there. I want to close with this. When 
the 2011 tsunami hit Japan, a Japanese pastor and his wife、uh, said they drove away、uh, like a race car driver, you know, trying to beat the, the water that was coming in.、Um, afterwards, they came back to find their home and their newly built church, Seaside Chapel, swept away. But the amazing sight was where the building once stood, the only thing left standing was the cross. Was the cross, you guys. And I love that because no matter what you may have done, no matter what you, you have gone through, no matter what tsunami of problems have come in, and maybe even your own doubts and unbelief in God, and you feel bad about that, God's going to still keep His word. He's still going to love you. He still gives grace. And the cross is still there. It will not go away. His love and forgiveness that you can find there. Can you hear him tonight? Do you hear him calling? Do you hear his voice? God is moving more than ever before, and will you respond? Do you see, just as it is here, it's, this, is, this is the beginning of God working more than ever before in your life, of wanting to do an incredible thing. And that's what we're starting off here. And this is God. He's speaking when the silence. Is broken. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for God that your word is alive and powerful. And as we see and we put together, God, in this study, how when the angel came, it was breaking the silence of your voice, of your message going out after 400 years. And for some of us, Lord, we've been away from you. We haven't heard from you, whether it's been years, whether it's been months, or maybe a week, or maybe. Today, even God, that we have not been listening to you, but God, we want to hear from you tonight, Lord. We want to hear your voice, God. We thirst after you, Lord. God, we need you so much, Lord. We need your guidance, your direction. We need you in our lives, Lord. We need your presence. We need your peace. We need, God, your hope. And I pray that tonight that we would all hear you calling us with your voice. God, I pray for those who maybe grew up in the church or those who have never really heard your spirit speak or your, your voice or, or seen your word come alive. And, and, and literally, what we're reading is you talking to us. God, I pray, Lord, that we would all have those experiences, Lord, and to know that you are there for us and you love us, God. So, Lord, we are here. We're all ears, Lord, so to speak, God. Break through the silence, Lord. Maybe we made our, our own silence. But God, may you break through with your love and your care, your encouragement, God, your hope and your peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand.